from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up On the morning of July 31st, 1972 news broke of a killer explosion at Boxflat Mine, Ipswich. 4IP newsman John Knox was among the first on the scene to report the disaster. Hugh Taylor was working at Rhonda Collieries and remembers the events of that fateful day. It's Saturday, July 16, 2022, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. On the 31st of July 1972, at 2.47am, 17 miners were killed in an explosion at the Boxflat coal mine at Swanbank. Another man lost his life 14 months after the incident as a result of injuries sustained. It remains the worst mining disaster in Ipswich's history and one of the greatest losses of life in Queensland's mining history. The memory of Box Flat is still vivid for the families of those that never came home from work that winter's day in 1972. The underground explosion felt like an earthquake as it ripped through the Swanbank mine. In fact, the fire had started the day before when efforts were made to try and contain the fire. Several attempts to starve the fire of oxygen by sealing off parts of the mine failed. After the blast, thick black smoke billowed from wreckage of the mine buildings and it was decided to seal the mine, entombing the men inside. Newsman John Knox was living in North Ipswich at the time and up early getting ready for another morning Presenting news on radio station 4IP. John Knox, can you take us back to that fateful morning? I'd just got up and I was getting ready to go to work. It was very early in the morning. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact time, but you would have details on that. As I put my feet on the floor getting out of bed, I, f- I felt two kind of thumps. And I realised that that was not just normal. It was a, It was an underground explosion of some sort. And I, I assumed that it was quite wrongly, of course, that it was um, uh, blasting to uh, uh, to achieve some purpose. But obviously it wasn't. And uh, I made the phone call at that uh, time and found out what it was, that Box Flat had gone up. And uh, so I immediately, instead of going to work, I, uh, well, I, did, I was effectively at work. Um, because I went straight to the uh, mine site and uh, uh, reported on what was happening. Um, and uh, the people of uh, Ipswich and District, in fact, the whole of Brisbane, became fully aware of what was occurring uh, due to the fact that I was reporting and others too um, from the uh, from the site. John, we can, if we can just put that into some context for Ipswich locals, the explosion happened at... 2.47 on the morning of the 31st of July over at Swanbank where Boxflat uh, was. Uh, now where were you to feel that explosion? 
I was at North Ipswich, um, in Robert Street at North Ipswich, which is about as far uh, north, I suppose. Yeah, yeah no, far north as you could go. Quite a distance, quite a distance. When was the full extent of the disaster known? Because by what you're telling me, it sounds like you were one of the first newsmen on site. Yes, I guess I was. Um, the full extent, I guess it was, there were people on, on site who were talking to me. Uh, I spent a lot of the time in the car uh, reporting by two-way radio back to the uh, uh, to the station. I can't really tell you what, what time it was that the full extent was known. Um, fairly early, I would say, yeah, mid-morning at the latest. Uh, mind you, that's that's a bit of a guess because it's uh, um, time uh, muddies the waters a bit of the old memory. It certainly but, does, uh, and of course, communication wasn't as swift back then as it is today. Oh heck no, no, it wasn't. But um, uh, from the radio station's point of view, uh, it was it was pretty pretty quick. I got on with everything as fast as I could, mm. and. Um, uh, the worst, the worst feature of the whole thing, I think, Alan was. Well, I don't think I know. Uh, was when the decision was made in the uh, uh, middle of the afternoon on that fateful day to um, seal up the term. Well, yeah, that's what it was. Seal up the uh, uh, the underground uh, uh, tunnel because it had been decided that there was no possibility that anybody who was involved in that explosion uh, would be alive. I guess uh, you could you could probably liken it to being inside the uh, chamber of a of a big gun that uh, has gone off. And if you can sort of imagine that, uh, there's no way in the world you could survive being inside the chamber of a big gun when the explosion went off to launch a, launch a, uh, a projectile. John, the fire started the day before. Can you remember if there was any news about the fire the day before? No, I don't remember a thing about that. Um, and, and I was certainly involved in the news in those days as mm. well. Looking um, through the report from the day, the, that fire was very, very small, in fact. It was only a few feet by a few feet, as the inquiry reported. And then uh, things just escalated overnight, um, as we now know. Shock and grief uh, would have gripped the whole city because we didn't have the population that we have today. So somebody knew someone who knew someone. That's how I imagine it would be. What was your personal experience? Well, I, I didn't know anybody personally who was in it. Um, I used to have a drink after work at the um, RSL club, the old RSL club venue um, in Nicholas Street, I think it was. And uh, uh, nearly everybody there knew somebody, um, probably quite closely, and uh, I got to talking to them, and I could feel their uh, their anger, uh, anger, uh, yeah, anger, I guess, and uh, their grief, um, and they're upset that, the, that this thing had happened. It, it, I mean, it, sure, well, mining accidents happen all the time, um, and they never should, of course, but they do, and individuals uh, lose their lives. But uh, when it's a, a thing of, on this scale, it, it it uh, it just magnifies the the grief and uh, it makes the thing so much more awful. Yes, it impacts not just the immediate families 
of the day, but their relatives and descendants, as we now know, 50 years later. Oh, yes. Um, not that many years ago, uh, quite recently, in fact, I, uh, uh, I met a uh, woman through Toastmasters uh, here over on the, uh, um, the north side of Brisbane, and uh, her husband was killed in it. Uh, her name it was Muriel. I can't remember her her, uh, her um, surname at the, at the time of the disaster, but she lost her husband in it. And uh, uh, she always seemed to be uh, quite a little bit bitter about the whole thing. And uh, not being directly close to anybody at the time when it happened, um, I can understand that uh, it, it would have been just plain devastating. And reading the uh, reports that came down in November 1972, it was clear that, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it could have been avoided or the loss of lives could have been avoided. Yes, uh, I, I got that message too when I read the report. The, the, me, the, the uh, measures in place to uh, avoid such a thing just weren't as, uh, as recommended. And uh, that, that, that was true of mines all over the place, not just Box Flat, but everywhere. Southern Cross um, and uh, so many other mines throughout Australia and I guess throughout the world. Um, it, it, the, the explosion that actually happened was a double, a double whammy, if you like. Um, it was, uh, first of all, the, uh, uh, the coal dust um, and then the... Uh, uh, the methane gas that was involved. So you got you didn't get just bang, you got boom, boom. Yeah, as you described. Like the, mm. the first one tri triggered the second one. I had never been down a mine. I knew, didn't know anything like what it was, but I did uh, subsequently uh, manage to get an invitation to go down uh, into a mine. It was the Southern Cross mine that I went down in. Uh, it was... In hindsight, it was the, the hindsight that I had then uh, made it all the scarier because uh, um, it was only a matter of a year or maybe 18 months uh, since the box flat one had happened. And uh, there I was down in the mine at uh, Southern Cross. And uh, it was, uh, one of the things that my guide, uh, the chap who took me down, uh, said, he said, okay, we're down at uh, level so-and-so or whatever it was. And uh, he said, now, switch off your lamp because we all had lamps on our heads. Uh, he said, turn, turn your light off. And I turned it off. It, didn't, it wasn't providing a heck of a lot of light as it was, but it certainly was providing some. When I turned it off, it was the darkest dark that you could possibly imagine. Um, it, it, it was nothing to even su suggest any light, just plain black. It couldn't, couldn't see anything. Nothing. Yeah. John Knox, I appreciate so much you sharing your thoughts and taking us back to 1972. Thanks, Alan. Another witness that day was Hugh Taylor. He was working at Rhonda Collieries and is currently president of the Ipswich Historical Society. I caught up with Hugh at a recent meeting of the Retired Miners Association. Hugh Taylor, thanks for talking with Ipswich today. Thank, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. 
Now, you were in Ipswich at the time of the explosion in 1972, not working at Box Flat. What are your memories of that day? I was working at Rhonda Collieries as, as a cadet uh, or as a mine surveyor and um, I remember the, that morning being woken up uh, from my uh, living at home with mum and dad at Hill Street in North Ipswich and um, wondered what the, what the hell was that. Um, from my bedroom window I could actually see the chimney stacks of Swanbank Power Station looking out in the darkness, didn't really notice anything and went back to sleep. Um, but then not till I got to work the next morning uh, on listening to the radio that there, there'd been a problem. Uh, when I got to work, the, um, one of the board members of the company um, was, was in my office. He said, let's get in the car and go over. We, went, we drove over to, uh, to a hilltop on the northern side of the, of the Swamak Lake, looked over at the mayhem and smoke and, and, and dust coming up still, um, and it, it was easily noticeable. There was nothing we could do uh, and went back, to, went back to the mine, but uh, uh, certainly uh, a very sad, uh, sombre day. At that point of the morning, were you aware of the extent of the disaster and loss of life? No, I wasn't um, at that stage. It wasn't until uh, later on that day that, about the extent of loss, loss of life. And the, um, the part that then started to hit home to me was when they started to mention the names. Um, I had worked with a few of those fellows um, just in the six months beforehand. Rhonda Collieries had closed down one of our mines, the Edward S. Cornwall mine, at Christmas time. <clears throat> um, a number of those fellows got, got to work at Box Flat. Uh, from January, and uh, they were on the dog watch shift, which was unfortunately the shift that they were they were, they were on when the when the blast happened. So I knew uh, from working with about three or four of those men that got killed that night. Uh, so it was quite sad uh, to see the see them um, killed in such a way. The inquiry that uh, obviously followed went into some detail and, and and statements from people who were on site. It seems as though there were several attempts to extinguish what was a very small fire to begin with. Yes, that was, that was the uh, astounding thing. The manager, when he first um, noticed it in underground, when he first discovered it underground, he said it was only a very small uh, uh, smouldering um, heating uh, that we could easily put it out. Uh, but by the time they got back to it, uh, it had obviously grown dramatically and, uh, and, got it, and quickly got out of control. So further attempts to, to uh, enter the mine, and that uh, certainly um, didn't seem to have any effect on, on slowing the fire down. It, it just got worse as the night went on. I appreciate your invitation to me here this morning to uh, see a virtual reality presentation of the likely scenario of what led to the major explosion. I had no idea that it was such a complex mine, basically two mines, uh, one, one above the other, and there were interlinking, interlinking shafts which, which caused some circulation without getting too technical. Would it be fair to say it was one of the most complicated uh, fields in the West Morton area? Um, yes, it was probably was a, um, one of the most complicated. There were two. Oh, it, was a, it was a large mine. It was a, had a large production mine. It had a lot of men, men working in those mines, a lot of and different uh, mining mining sections. So they were, they were mining from different areas of the mine, and they were mining mining from two seams. So to make um, connectivity. Uh, easier to get from one seam to another. Um, it was commonplace to have um, uh, connecting stone drifts if, if they could between them but you, obviously they are, are things that need to be managed and, and controlled fairly well as far as your ventilation of your mine goes and um, they're also um, apart from the, the steep drifts between the mines were the, the man supply drift was a much flatter drift and they also had connecting uh, ventilation shafts which are only went, uh, those shafts only went between the two seams they didn't go up to the surface. Uh, it allowed the, the mine to be, um, become better ventilated and better access for men and management to, um, to get from one 
one, one part of the operation to another to make sure that um, anything that needed to be attended to could be attended to quickly without having to go back all the way to the surface and go back down the second mine. Hugh, in the uh, days, weeks and months after the explosion, uh, the mood of the whole city would have been affected. Uh, somebody would have known someone, family members, extended family. Uh, just describe for me what, it was, what the mood was like around town. Oh, the mood was um, very sombre and very, and very sad because uh, the mining industry um, at that time was very very prevalent in, in it, which and um, it was it was common commonplace to to think that if um, nearly everybody in, in a household, uh, if, if they weren't didn't have somebody in, in their household that worked in a mine, were related to somebody that worked in a mine. So it was very common common um, uh, occupation in the Pritchett area here. A lot of people in, in, engaged in, in, in either working in the mines or in sundry sundry activities related to the mine. So that it affected the whole of the Pritchett community uh, and um, and uh, had had far-reaching effects. And uh, and you can see by the uh, some of the photos of the streams of um, of miners that march. Uh, at the funeral services and the and the people that the Ipswich community that turned out and lined the streets, that it, it really affected the the whole of the Ipswich community. The coal miners memorial that was uh, established in recent years on the former site of the, the Jim Gardner pool is a very uh, a very tangible uh, way of paying tribute to these miners. Uh, has that done a lot to to heal the wounds? You think the emotional wounds? I think it does help to heal the wounds. Yes, it, it allows people um, to to go and uh, and and, and and realise the, the the enormity of the of the uh, sacrifices that these men and boys made to, to our coal mining industry, and when you look at the uh, the number that, that that memorial only represents our coal mining industry of the Fritch Rosewood area, and that's 186 men and boys there, and um, if you add up all of the other fatalities from disasters in the, around the state, uh, Fritch is still the highest number of fatalities in it from its coal fields and uh, so it's quite significant it it, um, uh, it encompasses yes it encompasses the 18 men that were lost in box flat but it encompasses the, the all of the men that that were that were been uh, unfortunately lost in our in our, our mining industry 2022 is the 50th anniversary can you believe it's 50 years no, it's very hard to believe that it's 50 years. Where, as we all say, where, where have the years gone? Um, so, but um, it is the 50th anniversary coming up, and it's, um, so we want to make it a, a pretty significant uh, event to, uh, to remember this, this terrible disaster and, uh, and remember the names of those uh, the, the fam- and look after the families that were affected by this. And uh, today, uh, 50 years on, those families are no longer just the, the wives and the, and the children of those men. Um, there's the, uh, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of those, uh, and great, even great-great-grandchildren of those men that are coming along to attend this, um, this 50th anniversary. So it affects and continues on to, to um, um, affect the, those families uh, and even uh, the few fellows that are left in this area uh, today that were there on that night um, they've lived with that, the uh, the trauma of that of that terrible night for all the, for the last 50 years. Uh, no matter what counselling, not that they got any counselling back then, but the, even um, no, no matter how much counselling they would they may have had or may not have had, it's something that you live with for the rest of your life and you take it with you to your grave because it's, um, it's, it was a very 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 sad and very a very tragic event for that they that they would never forget. Well, let's talk about the uh, program that's coming up on the 30th of July and the 31st of July. You're spreading it over two days, so it, it is a very significant uh, timeline from the from 1972. Uh, what have you got lined up? Wanted to make it a fairly significant event, and, and uh, so with that, I'm, I've got the uh, on the um, Saturday afternoon. Um, I'm putting on a, a, an unveiling of a um, of a uh, mines rescue display at the at the original 
old uh, Bavale Mines Rescue Station. Now that's um, being being um, being done um, because the Mines Rescue Station was a major part of the of the um, of the rich community uh, in mining. The display will start actually the week before the the weekend of the 30th and 31st, and run till the week weekend after the 30th and 31st. So it'll be there for two weeks, and we're very fortunate to have the uh, the um, support of the Llewellyn um, Motors uh, Group, who are actually are, are allowing us to to take over the front part of their display room in the, in the old rescue station to, to put on this display. So, so on the Saturday afternoon, to make something of that, I'm having we're doing a little unveiling, and and at that, I want to um, to thank the Mines Rescue Service for their uh, contributions to the British coal mining industry over over, over the uh, the decades because they, uh, they started in 1909 and um, we celebrated their 110 years um, in 2019 and um, we held it at Llewellyn Motors and they uh, were very supportive of us giving us that room again in, in 2019. They're very supportive of us giving us it again now but more importantly the, the Mines Rescue Service, they educated um, a lot of men and allowed a lot of men with very uh, perhaps low education and um, to give them uh, improved work, working practices and improved competencies that allowed them to get better paid and, and more, more, more responsible uh, positions within the mining industry. On the Saturday evening there's a, uh, a special dinner being held. Yes, yes. Follow, so, following the uh, the mines rescue unveiling display, we're having a memorial dinner at the uh, at the race which race course, and in their events and um, an entertainment um, room, where we have the the minister for mines doing an address and. Uh, we're also having um, a lot of families and dignitaries uh, attending and uh, the Minister for Mines, I think, as I said, will, will be there and um, they will having uh, launching a, a 3D visualisation that um, Mark Parcell and his team uh, with, with Alan Andrews from, from the UK have put together a, a, a virtual reality uh, visualisation of the Boxwrap Mine and, it, and the, um, the commentary and, and that and the video uh, um, visualisation will allow the families and the people the mining industry personnel that'll be there the opportunity to actually see and understand more clearly uh, what what's happened and what led up to the uh, this terrible disaster the uh, ceremony to commemorate the 50th anniversary is going to be on site at uh, swan bank uh, what form will that take this year um, it'll, it'll take a much much larger um, um, form form of uh, service. In, over the past years, we've had a, uh, a reasonable number of people turning up, like maybe 100 people turning up to our services on the on the anniversary dates. But this year, I'm expecting to be treble that or more, and um, so it'll be quite a large. Thing. The service um, uh, will be run from 10 o'clock, and. Um, There'll, there'll be um, a lot of other arrangements there, so expecting that not everybody will fit into the um, into the, the memorial circle. So I've, I've arranged for a large marquee to be there. The the event, the service will be streamed from the from the memorial circle to the to the marquee, where there'll be a lot of seating available uh, in that marquee. And the, the event, the service will also be live streamed. So um, I have uh, families um, coming from New Zealand. Uh, Quite a, ten people from the Verencamp family alone are coming from um, New Zealand to to be at this uh, at this event, and Mer um, Verencamp's uh, wife who's still alive and in New Zealand who can't make the trip, she'll be able to see it live streamed in, on on the internet. Uh, so any other other families and men that are away that can't be on, on site can actually get to see this service uh, live stream if they if they're made aware of the uh, the live streaming link. Yes, I would say the advice is if you are attending to get there early. There's not a lot of space, as you said, a very, but a very significant uh, memorial site for uh, the city of Ipswich. Hugh Taylor, thanks so much for talking with Ipswich today. Thank you very much, Alan. My pleasure.
To commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Boxflat disaster, three events have been organised. Check the show notes for links to the details. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the Donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music Podcasts, or play Ipswich Today from smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.